Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, did you turn the volume up? I heard that was a lot for me. <laughs> you went right up close. Oh, please. <laughs> excuses, excuses. <laughs> and that's that's not why Ask Brian has an E in it. That starts with an E, though. <laughs> excuses, excuses. That starts with an E. <laughs> All right. Well, you're listening to the Ask Brian radio show, and... Some of you have never listened to it, so I have to go over this every week. If everyone would start listening to it in the entire world, I wouldn't even have to go over this explanation of Ask Brian. But since there's always new people coming in, we have to go over what the E's are. And first thing is the engineer that begins with an E needs to figure out how to deal with the microphone because it's coming in and out. Like, I don't know what's going on here. So, Mr. Engineer, yeah? I make sure that you know. Make sure nothing's on top of it, probably. And is anything on top of it? No. Nope. There, there, there was. There oh, was. Excuses, excuses. Yay, e that... and E. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So, for those of you who have not listened to Ask Brian, we are a radio show each week. We have a business person on the show each week, and we either like to teach a business lesson or go over some business background about some a CEO or startup, how they made it to where they are today, and so. This week is like no other week. And we want to also tell people why Ask Brian is spelled A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N. Because when I went to school, everybody's name was Brian with A-N or B-R-Y-A-N, but nobody was spelled E-N. By the way, you're listening to KHTS 1220 and 98.1 FM. All right, so Mr. Engineer, forgetting about the E from Engineer, forget about the E from Excuses when you can't figure out the That's answer. a new one, though. <laughs> you know what? This is a learning show, and we're trying to teach people things. And so, like, for instance, if you could figure out how to work the microphone, that would be a learning experience for you. That's also an E. So we've got experience, engineer, and excuses, and laughing. <laughs> that's, that starts with an L. That starts with an L, sir. And well, that we're, we're an educational, so it's E laughing. <laughs> e laughing? Oh, my goodness. So please tell these people, because... You know, our guest is waiting, and he's, he doesn't hasn't listened to the show before, and is like going, "What's going on here? What, what what's happening?" You know, like I'm supposed to be on a radio show, I'm supposed to be talking about my company, and these guys are going over what what excuses they have. So, why do we have the E and Ask Brian? Well, there's a number of words that have to give do me an with, excellent answer. I will give you an excellent answer. Well, there's a, <laughs> a lot of E's that have to do with Ask Brian. It's kind of like a thematic thing we got going on for just kind of like what shows like what the Ask Brian show is about. Yes, you took away the engineer, which you know that's that's you can't run the show without the engineer. That would be me. Although we do have AI, but go that ahead. starts with an A and an I, not an E. Close. Yes, artificial intelligence. Yes. But uh, outside of that, uh, we have excellence, which you kind of put said when, like, let's make it excellent answers. Excellence because we exude nothing but excellence here in the Ask Brian show. The other ones we have also is empathy, as in you are not very empathetic with, uh, you know, with me in case of, like, when, you know, with microphones. I'm not empathetic. Not. Did I say you're fat? No. Come on. I'm trying to emphasize empathetic. Uh, Another E, empathize. Yep. And empathize. He was not being empathetic. Other ones we also have here is the experts, because we bring on experts onto the Ask Brian show. 
outside of that, we have uh, experience because everybody here is experienced in some form of apparently work. not. Apparently not. For me, yeah. <laughs> Tracy, help me. He's being really mean. I, I, I just want to say that I want to be Cookie Monster. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I never met a cookie I didn't like. <laughs> well, we should we should invite but, Elmo on the show. Though. That's an E. Elmo, where is an E? That's good. I love that. Okay. Anyway, the last ones are enthusiasm and I am excited for the greatest show on earth. Anyway, we are the greatest show on earth. We have our co-host Tracy. Tracy, there. I'm only answering the Cookie Monster today. <laughs> she goes by Cookie Monster. Well, remember that this station is like no other station in the world. <laughs> and we uh, have our okay. host. And we also have our guest today. And I don't want to mispronounce his name, so I'm going to go very slowly. Uh, Nishut, is that your name? That's right. Okay. Right. If I mispronounce it, please let me know. I'm not an Nobody. expert, and I'm certainly not an engineer. So, um, so going with the flow, it's a Nishit with the N. <laughs> okay. You know, if you took the N out, I don't want to say what that means. But, uh, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> anyway, you don't want to split it for sure. <laughs> exactly. No. Yes. There are FCC regulations around that if you change. Absolutely. The Absolutely. Exactly. Or even FDA. <laughs> oh, he, he's very well, including with the government. Anyway, so you have this company, and the name is uh, what is the name of your company? Joint Tech Labs. And Joint Tech Lab, before you started working or creating that company, what were you doing prior to that? So I have a background in medicine. I'm an MD. Okay. I was seeing patients suffering a lot. And that was one of the primary reasons for conceptualizing Joint Tech Labs and, and what we do. So what Joint Tech Labs is, is basically a regenerative medicine solutions company. So which means, you know, we're trying to use the body's own natural resources and natural cells to eliminate pain and suffering. And I've seen a lot of those in my previous years before Joint Tech. And that was the primary reason between me and my partner to start the company. So is this uh, homeopathic or naturopathic or is it actually specific? It's not. So it uses, you know, your own body's stem cells. So it is a biological tissue which is used for healing and regeneration. And what we have currently is an FDA-cleared device and technology that allows you to process those stem cells in the clinic and give it back to you for a variety of clinical indications. So it's not homeopathic in nature. It's definitely using your own natural cells of the body in the clinic to be used for a variety of clinical applications. Is it one step below cloning? I mean, using your own stem cells? Yes, using your own stem cells, right, absolutely. So you're a doctor, you still are a doctor, and were you practicing in private practice? Were you working for a group? Were yeah, I was, I was at a university in an academic setting. Okay, and, uh, and so then, uh, were you teaching? Yeah, my interest was, yeah, yeah, it was a combination of both. But my real interest lied in learning more about, uh, you know, novel sources of stem cells. I used to work also in a lab in the clinic, in the, in the university. And that's how all this started. And uh, there was a lot of interest back then in, in kind of exploring new sources of stem cells. So what we started working on is a source which is abundant in everybody of us for the most part, which is your own fat, right? So we derive stem cells from your own fat in your own tummy. Well, I have, I have, I have a lot I have, of stem cells. I have plenty of stem cells. In fact, <laughs> if anyone needs some more, I got some. It's a free offer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so um, you started this company alone or with another person? 
Yeah, my partner is Dr. Nathan Katz. He has a PhD uh, in stem cell biology, so he's probably much more intelligent than me in the field. And yeah, so we actually started this company in Chicago. It's still headquartered there, but you know, of course, we spread out after that. So yeah, we met there, and he has a robust background in stem cell biology, and you know, kind of gelled ideas on what we can do in the space. And that's how Joint Tech Labs was born. Seeing a common, you know, kind of pain in regards to not being able to deliver you know, natural therapies in the clinic uh, was the pain point, right? You've seen a lot of synthetics and a lot of problems around, you know, people using synthetic products. So that was the whole game on why we started Joint Tech Labs to deliver natural therapies in the clinic. Well, so you're working for a university and you start this company. I mean, you know, I imagine it takes a while to develop something before Absolutely. you can actually make funds out of it, right? So how did you work that part out? Did you just get savings yeah, so, and stuff to use or what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We worked on our savings. You know, it took about, you know, initial three, four years to get things going. I mean, we were sometimes working part-time and, you know, kind of managing ends. But it was real commitment on, on both our sides to kind of get this through onward from the prototyping stage onto something very tangible that we can go meet the FDA with. And that took, you know, obviously, you know, three, four years at least. And from there on, you know, we have this device now that's in the manufacturing phase and we're already initiating sales here in the U.S. post-FDA clearance. So hopefully, you know, things are looking good from here on. So explain a little bit about this product. You mentioned stem cells, but is it a is it a machine that actually takes the stem cells from one person, puts them back into themselves after time, or how? To, uh, explain the way the the operation. Yeah, absolutely. So everything is autologous, which means coming from your own body, right? So there is nothing that comes from another person as such. So what we do typically is that, you know, the patient would walk in, they would do a small mini liposuction procedure under, it's all under local anesthesia, right? In the clinic, right, so no operating or procedure room needed, they would take about you know, anywhere between 60 to 120 ml of fat from your tummy using a small needle and a syringe. And then that would get processed right away within the next half an hour in the clinic with this device. And then the end product is ready to be injected back to wherever the pain point is including, so, you know, the areas of applications are, of course, you know, a lot of joint problems. So, you know, orthopedic conditions where people have, you know, either osteoarthritis or, you know, ligament tears and so on, as well as a lot of facial aesthetic applications where you're using biologicals, which means tissue coming out from your own body rather than using a lot of synthetic materials like fillers and Botox and stuff. And you're doing that at the same time? So, in other words, they're still on the local, they're taking it out and then putting it back in? Or is that done a, an hour or two later or a couple of days later? Yeah, so the whole process takes about an hour. So as I said, you know, once the patient walks in, it's about a 20-minute mini light procedure. They take a small amount of fat, it gets processed within the next half hour, and then the injection is right away. So there is no, like, anesthesia needed for or a procedure room needed for or for the injection back. So all in all, it takes about an hour or 15 minutes, and the patient walks in and walks out. And this is a unique product to yourself, or are there? Because I, I know it's FDA approved, but are there other companies with similar products out there? Yeah, so there is. Uh, the field has been evolving over the last decade for sure. I mean, there are not many, too many robust players in the field yet. But of course, there is different kinds of biological products. So, you know, some people do process some stem cells, or you know, it's called PRP or platelet-rich plasma from the blood and so on. So there is, you know, competition in the space with different biologics, right? So you're still using your own, you know, body cells or tissues, but not maybe not necessarily using fat as a source. You could be using blood as a source or something else as a source. 
Now, so you are 100% FDA approved. How you said that process took a couple of years. So my understanding, and I have very little background in this area, is, but you do have to go through three or four series of clinical trials where you're actually doing this on people, and then afterwards, you know, if it's working or effective, after three or four clinical tests, that and the group expands, then at some point that that it gets approved. Is that the way the process works, or do you want to be more? More clear on that. Yeah, so the way what you're describing is for drugs, basically like in the sense you're doing a, a chemical for the market. The way it works with devices is, you know, a little bit different where, you know, you have to prove a lot of, of course, it takes a lot of paperwork and data in regards to the safety of the device, with the manufacturing capability and, you know, how the device is built. And also a lot of clinical validations, as you rightly described, like it's not, you know, leaching product, it's safe to inject back and so on. But generally, it's a little bit less stringent pathway than a proper chemical-based drug pathway, which would be, you know, a lot of phase trials and so on. So it's a little bit of a shorter pathway for medical devices. And you mentioned that it works for pain, like the joints or whatever. What other parts of the body does it have you applied it for? Yeah, so the right now the focus is on basically two broader areas. One is pain mitigation for orthopedic conditions as well as for wound healing, which means, you know, some chronic wounds like diabetic wounds and so on, where you can do a, a local applications. So everything is locally based, right? So you're not injecting it IV or anything. You're doing it very localized either in the joint or around the wounds. And then also, as I mentioned, uh, for a lot of medical aesthetic and plastic surgery-related applications where they use fat as fillers instead of doing synthetic fillers. So you can use fat or and or stem cells as uh, rejuvenation biological tissue instead of using synthetic fillers. And how many locations can you get this in? Is it 1, 2, 10, 50, what? You mean like physical locations, right? Yes. In the U.S.? Yeah. So right now, we're just still panning out the commercialization post-FDA clearance. Right now, we have about 10 different uh, medical centers using this all across the, the country, right, from New England to uh, the tri-state to California to uh, some parts of Florida as well. So one thing that, I, that I'm seeing here is an educational part you're going to have to do, right? It sure. seems to me that there's probably a lot of people, myself included, that never heard of this, don't understand what it's all about. I mean, we've heard of stem mm-hmm. cells. And so it seems to me that's going to be a lot of that educational part to get people up to speed to explain sure. before they can actually go out and say, you know, to create that demand. You can't just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, hey, I've got, you know, an ulcer and, you know, I'm advertising on TV. It's got to, you got to really educate people about what it is. That's what I see. Is that you? Absolutely. And so what things are you doing educationally? So if you can quickly go off if you have. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, you know, our focus has not been so much on uh, kind of customer level, like, you know, consumer level, uh, like, you know, education. It was more education for the doctors as well, right? Because even for them, the field is still new. So that's why, we, you know, we're doing a lot of webinars. We're, you know, kind of presenting at a lot of conferences, uh, our data, as well as a lot of different publications, going, you know, talking to these doctors, explaining how this works and why it is beneficial for their patient. So right now, it's more so a B2B approach that we're taking. But of course, at the same time, you know, we're kind of, you know, in the in the process of building a newer website for the end consumer, which is the patient. So, you know, new landing pages explaining how this would benefit them instead of using synthetic products, like, say, for joint conditions. It could be that they're using steroid shots or doing some kind of visco supplement, which means like a gel, which overall in the long term, including the steroid shots, you know, kind of destroy the joint much further further than what it is currently. So that's that's kind of part of the education process that we are undertaking. 
Anyway, Tracy, you had a couple questions you wanted to ask Nishi, and I'm going to have a couple questions as well. Why don't you start? Because I had a couple questions first. You go, and then I'll ask some more when you're done. That sounds great. So one of the things that I'd really love for you to share with our audience is the inspiration behind launching this product itself. Like, what was that catalyst for you that saw the need in the marketplace and and then you decided to take that leap? Absolutely. You know, as we all know, we, nobody's getting younger, right? So the world population, 65 and above, is going to be about 1.5 billion in the next decade or so. Now, we're increasing life expectancy, right? So I'm guessing 8 out of 10 are going to have some sort of degenerative problems. And what do you do today, right? Like to, if you have some sort of a problem with aging, you either use drugs or some quick fixes, right? Like you go out to the doctor, they give you a shot of, say, a steroid and so on. So there's no real emphasis on building a natural defense system for the body. And, you know, we've seen it all, you know, I mean, we have all seen like, you know, probably our moms, dads, everybody's suffering from some sort of joint problems, some sort of ulcers that never heal, or even, you know, side effects of using all these different aesthetics, be it for the aesthetic work or for joint problems and so on. So that was really, you know, hitting hard. And at that same time, we had this whole focus on stem cells being, you know, huge natural healing potential, uh, where, you know, a small amount of your body tissue can give you millions and millions of your own stem cells for therapeutic use. So that was the real inspiration on how do we bring this to the clinic, right? Like there was knowledge out there, a lot of scientific emphasis on how we can, you know, kind of create those stem cells and give it back, but no real solutions how we bring it to the clinic. So that was when we kind of got together with Nathan and, you know, kind of started working on a prototype for a device that could be worked in in a clinic which can deliver these, you know, uh, stem cells back to you in, in a very non-invasive way and in a very intuitive way, less time-consuming and, of course, affordable for the general public. That's so amazing. And I'm assuming that you did a tremendous amount of research prior to making such a huge investment of resources and time. What were some of the things that you did to proof out your concept? Absolutely. So we actually started with building laboratory protocols. We even didn't start with the device, right? But that was kind of an afterthought on how do we pan it out to every clinic. So we started, of course, with a lot of R&D in regards to lab protocols on how we can effectively, you know, isolate these cells and, you know, what could be the best ratio and so on and so forth. So beyond that, then there was this thought on how can we pan it out, you know, maybe a lab like this, probably, you know, the bigger university systems might be able to afford, but not the local clinic, right? And that's the reason why it's not panning out as a standard of care, right, like as of now. So that was the whole purpose, and that's why when we started prototyping the device, it took about, you know, a good three, four years to really, you know, because we had to shrink kind of the whole lab process into this small device, which could be very portable and usable in the clinic, right? So it took about good four years to, you know, build over, you know, four to five different iterations and prototyping to come to a final product, right? And we are kind of, we are still in the phase where, you know, sometimes we have to update certain things based on the feedback. So it's a, it's a continuum as such. But yeah, that was kind of the inspiration on why we thought this could be very useful to pan out regenerative medicine and use of natural cells in the clinic. One of the things that we talk a lot about on our show is the relationships that are created as part of launching an endeavor, the magnitude of yours especially. And you mentioned earlier that you had a partner 
tell us a little bit about how the two of you came together to be partners and tell us a little bit about how you separated your roles in terms of being partners and maybe a tip for those out there who are thinking about bringing in a partner. Absolutely. So, you know, we were a, a, a part of a, a small biotech community in Chicago, and that's how we met. You know, he had a strong interest in stem cells being a PhD in the background, and, you know, I had a strong interest in kind of the clinical applications of it. So we kind of gelled right away. We knew it was a common interest, and from there on, we decided to work on this, and then eventually, you know, formed Joint Tech Labs to kind of build the products out of it. So that's how we met, and you know, it was a common interest that took us forward into building Joint Tech Labs. And of course, it was very clear right from the start. You know, he has his huge focus and domain expertise in kind of a lot of the technical and scientific stuff related to stem cells. And I was more in the realm of you know, how do you create these clinical applications? You know, how do you go through the regulatory path? And so it was a very clear divide right from the start, and we've kind of maintained it even now. So, you know, he kind of takes care of a lot of the scientific technical stuff within the company, and I, I, I take care of a lot of, you know, I've adopted to, you know, kind of doing a lot of business operations for the company as well. But technically, you know, I, I still deal with a lot of the clinical application part. And how about investors? Have you brought in investors, or do you have plans to bring in investors? Yeah, we did a good size seed round of 1.25 million so far over the last, you know, whatever, six, seven years to kind of build the company, build the prototype, go through the clearance, you know, uh, and develop a lot of, you know, kind of the clinical programs that we have. We are, you know, raising another round and we're kind of halfway through it as well for kind of the actual sales and marketing aspect of putting the device across the U.S. So, yes, we are raising right now, and yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to give you more information to your viewer, to your listeners. Oh, yeah, we always love to hear the journey around raising funds because it's, it's, it's such a mysterious and can have a lot of mystique around it and sometimes can even feel like a shell game. So if you could offer any but, insights on your experience, that'd be great. But as an attorney who's dealt with securities law, just be careful about what you say because it is on the radio and it is a public forum. This is not a joke. You've got to be careful what you say because yeah. it's not a solicitation for offer of fund, and you're you're not speaking to anyone or sophisticated investors or anyone. So you have to be careful. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Right. Yeah. Thank. Thank you for the heads up. So yeah, I mean, you know, we we have been lucky to kind of get you know like-minded investors who understand the space. You know, it's a long cycle, right? Like going through <laughs> for a medtech biotech, it's it's a longer cycle than doing you know um, some apps <laughs> on the phone. Definitely need much more patience in regards to going through a lot of regulatory hurdles and, you know, of course, manufacturing and so on and so forth. So, no, we've been lucky in that space. And, you know, I mean, that's another thing I would kind of tell to your listeners that do find investors who, you know, not just for the money, but also some strategic inputs, right? Because that really helps when you have, you know, say like right now we're part of the Expert Dojo program. And, you know, they're really, really helpful in regards to how you grow the company, how you establish marketing and sales and so on. So, you know, Brian has been really helpful along that. You know, at times, you know, you're, you being a startup, you don't have all the, you know, apparatus to kind of take on everything. You might have domain expertise in a few things that you need for the company, but you still need help or consultants to kind of help you through the other aspects. And that's where, you know, if you have strategic investors, there's a lot of good introductions they can make. So that's really helpful as well. Have you ever had investors that say, hey, listen, you know, I really like the product, but if it could do X or Y or Z, I definitely would be willing to invest. And has anyone ever said that to you? And if they did, how would you respond to that? Would you change your product for the right investor? 
so all the time there is always some you know not negative but like you know critical feedback in regards to what you need more so that's always a given but then you know from there on you do build a relationship and you know kind of explain what you think can happen with the company or what you think needs to happen to take us from point a to point b and often they do understand i've rarely come across anybody who has asked us to change you know the complete profile of the product or the company they typically understand you you know you have your sweat equity in this product only if they realize and if you realize it's not a product to market fit is when you really have to pivot completely onto a different side but generally it's it's more focused on you know building traction like you know if i see this i would definitely like to keep the conversation going and if you reach this point i would definitely like to invest in you so it's kind of that kind of a response typically So talking through the marketing aspect from B2B to B2C, and it sounded like too from your initial part of the conversation that you that you launched the business with a B2B focus and that you're bringing in a B2C focus. Is that to have brand awareness like when you see commercials and things like that to ask your doctor about or like can you help us with the marketing strategy around the the focus pivot and then some of the marketing elements that you're putting into place to target each of those B2B and B2C categories. Absolutely. I think, you know, that's again a domain expertise that, you know, was brought on by Expert Dojo. Like we we were always kind of focused on the B2B approach because we thought it's a technical product you know the doctors might just be the right audience for us but again it was a perspective brought on that you know it definitely helps when a consumer listens to something like this and asks the doctor about it on you know why can't i get this kind of a therapy and or a product to be used on me where i'm suffering uh, you know in the joints or something else right so that was a focus that we kind of just initiating and just learning about it on how to approach a b2c market and we haven't really developed any collateral or creatives around it yet but we definitely that will be the focus in this year to kind of develop this the creatives around a b2c approach as well so but generally otherwise for the b2b you know we've re, you know, of course with covid things were different you know everything was kind of online based but right now you know things are opening up so we would you know we're starting off with the trade shows conferences you know of course a lot of branding around the product you know offline brochures you know digital presence as well and creating these automated sales funnels and so on so that's kind of been the general approach and what about accessibility is that is the product so if you were to do a campaign around consumer awareness and and the consumer latched onto that and then want to ask their primary care position about it is it accessible uh, worldwide is it uh, you know is there an accessibility challenge how does that work yeah there is some uh, you know not challenge i would say it's it's some sort of a uh, awareness that we have to definitely generate in regards to the consumer on why it would be beneficial for them because you know there is a market enough for all the synthetics you know obviously with a lot of funding goes into <laughs> all these bigger farmers that you know create awareness around their products so we definitely there is a awareness component that needs to be in place before it can really pan out worldwide and and doctors i mean and consumers start asking their doctors on i mean they do have a general sense but there is no real awareness as of on a global scale yet so internationally are you taking any steps internationally because usually the market is so big in the US and you know you still have to get over the so many hurdles here in the US are you exploring any international things now or are you Was that like way 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 down the down the Yeah no we are actually exploring the international market we have uh, you know already you know kind of the paperwork in place for uh, 
you know, getting approved in EU, which would take about probably 12 months from now. And also a, a few other countries, you know, so we're kind of, you know, working on the regulatory side to get this device approved in uh, ex-US as well. But you're right, you know, we have to kind of be, you know, very conscious in the effort because marketing and sales is a ball game in itself. So, you know, we're kind of keeping it limited to the US right now, but also, you know, having interest in the in the global market because definitely there is a huge market out, outside US as well. Uh, so first steps is to get regulatory approvals there and then kind of think about the marketing plan there. But definitely right now, the, the idea is to pan it out across US first. And how long do you think it'll be before you'll actually have a product at a facility where somebody can go in and get it? So as I said, we already have, you know, we have typically right now we're working through distributors of, of medical devices. So they have a, a good size accounts, right? So typically that's how we're working. We haven't really initiated any direct approaches to doctors yet, apart from, uh, of course, the key opinion leaders that we work with in the field. But generally, you know, we're kind of working with distributors who have their own accounts. So definitely in these states that I mentioned, we already have, you know, active doctors using the product. So we can... Definitely, if there is interest, we can kind of direct the patients there. Well, go ahead, Trace. Yeah, so we were talking um, on the break about the where you see the company going and what are your growth areas, like what's next for your company? Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, definitely we want to become an ecosystem of regulated, you know, regional medicine devices and therapies, of course, at the point of care. You no, know, establishing a standard of care, right? That's that's the whole point, right? Like you could, it could well be very as ubiquitous as having a blood pressure done at a local clinic. So that's the vision, right? Probably two, three, four years from now, it should be a global ecosystem where this should be a given, right? Like you can go demand with a doctor to get your own on own tissues and cells for any kind of therapies that you want. So instead of, you know, problems with either using synthetics or, or because of aging, because of our devices, you know, doctors will be able to offer these non-surgical kind of regional medicine therapies at the local clinic to mitigate pain and suffering. You know, that's the goal. What's going to stop competition? Yeah, great question. What's going to stop competition? Uh, yeah, you know, we have a leader advantage as of now, you know, because of the kind of products, you know, which are platform kind of products. So not just these devices, we are kind of developing therapies around it as part of our clinical programs, which I didn't even kind of get into for this call. But, you know, we, we have some sort of an emerging leader advantage. And, uh, you know, there's not really too many big pharma or medtech yet in this space. And it's still evolving. So definitely if we do things right, uh, of course, there will be competition, and, and probably there is already competition, but we do have a leader advantage, you know, being a, a better product, you know, in regards to pricing as well. We are very competitive, so I, I believe we can definitely take it from there. Exit strategy. As I said, you know, most of the big pharma medtech are yet on the sidelines. They're still looking for the next emerging unicorn in the space. So if we do things right, you know, we already have the device kit in the U.S. If we get a few countries, ex-U.S., and also kind of developed on the clinical programs that we have, I think we'd be very, very good candidate for a merger acquisition by one of those, you know, either the Medtronics or Strikers or even some in maybe the J&J kind of uh, companies. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, wanted to learn more about the product, what is the best way for them to find out more about the company and about the product itself? Absolutely. So, yeah, our, our website is pretty good. They have, you know, most of the information for doctors as well as we have a separate section on for the consumers. 
to really understand, you know, what this device can or technology can do for you. So www.jointtechlabs.com, J-O-I-N-T-E-C-H-L-A-B-S.com is the perfect place to go. We have our, our email listed there. You know, we have a phone number that you can call or just have a form filled out for us to reach you back. So those are all the ways you can you kind of ask her questions and, and uh, we'll be happy to answer them. And if you were going to provide one just like a lesson that you've learned throughout your journey of this of launching this business, what is what is the one piece of advice that you would give? Besides ask Brian, go ahead. <laughs> of course, yeah, I should have started there, right? Ask Brian. <laughs> but no, definitely <laughs> But definitely, you know, in this space, especially the whole medtech, biotech field, you know, one suggestion or one advice is to have patience. You know, just don't get frustrated. There will be a lot of ups and downs in the business as you go along all these different, you know, R&D, manufacturing, regulatory, IP, you know, all the different kind of stuff. Well, thank you very much. It was in KHS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.